listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Well, turn with me in the book of Romans, if you would please, as we continue our study. We're on our way to get through the book of Romans. We've been in it now for over 30 weeks, almost 40 as a matter of fact, and then um, we will continue through. We are now in the practical section of the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters are the doctrinal section where we learn about sin, salvation, sanctification, glorification. Uh, we learn about the sovereignty of God. If you remember, uh, we had the words on our stage, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, those two great truths taught in Scripture. And then you see on our stage today two words, loving and living. Well, this section today we're going to be talking about, or this section that Matthew, Pastor Matthew started us off a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 12. It's loving God and living godly. This is a section where you put some shoe leather to what you believe. As I said this morning in class 101, and I say it all the time in that class, is that what we believe determines how we will behave or should determine how we behave. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16, join with me as I read through that. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Bless those who rejoice. I'm sorry, bless those who persecute you. My bifocals are jumping lines on me today. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. And do not set your mind on high things. But associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. That's worth the whole passage, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, as we approach your word today, this very practical section of the book of Romans of how that Lord we say we love God and also how we should be living according to God's standards and Lord we know that we that it's a very high standard and that Lord uh, we are sinful people and there are times when certainly we fail but Lord just because we fail does not mean that the standard changes the standard is always there and thank you, Lord, for the time that we can come in repentance in those times of failures. And you will cleanse our hearts as you say that you will. So, Lord, teach us today, we pray, as we follow the Apostle Paul as he is instructing us 
and how we're to love you and to live for you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's one thing to say that we love God and to say Christ is the most important thing in our lives. But the truth is more in the living than in the telling. I remember in college, we had a college professor, and he he taught a lot of the education classes, and this is something he would always say, and I believe it's one of the basic seven laws of teaching, that more is caught than taught. In other words, what people see is what they believe you believe. See, if, what, if we believe something, it should change our attitude and change our direction and change our mind about things. So let's just look here. Um, you know, and, and so far in our study, we've seen Paul admonish believers to present themselves as a living sacrifice. Pastor Matthew preached on that passage in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And then we saw such a, uh, that, that type of a surrendered life to Christ looks like what it looks like in the context of the church through all the different gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us and in the power of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gift, building the body of Christ, that was last week. So this week we're going to to look at the marks of a person who has committed themselves and surrendered themselves to the Lord Jesus. The first mark is this, and we've titled the lesson today, A Life That You Would Like to Live. The first is a life marked by authentic love for God's people. Now, love is the very first thing that he deals with here. Look in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. That is the commandment that we love one another in verse 9. That we love one another. In verses 9 through 16, Paul uh, mentions one another three times in these few short verses. And this whole section of Scripture here concerns a a type of a reciprocal relationship with each other in the body of Christ. Because the Bible tells us that love is the ultimate part of what is called this love relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. It's very clear for us uh, to see that we are to express this love and that love is one of the greatest things that we can have. God uses the word here, there are three different words in the Greek for the word love. There's the word phileo, uh, which means a brotherly type of love, the city of Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia, phileo, and then adelphos, the the name for man or, or brother. So Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Then there's the word eros, E-R-O-S, and that's the word where we get our English word erotica. It's that sensual type of love that's mentioned in Scripture that husband and wives have for each other. And then there's the word agape or agape. And that is the love that God has for us. It is an unconditional, unmerited type of love. In other words, it is a decision that is made, I'm going to love you regardless And so here he uses the same word in talking about our relationship to each other. Let love be without hypocrisy. And he uses the word agape. There are more than 50 commands that are given in Scripture to love, uh, to love one another. Uh, In fact, one another, we preached a whole series of sermons, 52 weeks 
of the one another's in the Bible just a year or so ago. When Jesus was asked to name the greatest commandment, what did he say in Matthew chapter 22? He said there are two, and they're all centered around love. He says love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So God has given us a very clear commandment that we are to love one another, and it's to be without hypocrisy. So then what is the criteria of our love for one another? That it be without hypocrisy again. What is this idea of, a, of hypocrisy? Well, the, the word uh, uh, hypocrisy comes from the Greek word uh, that literally is a transliteration for us, uh, for the word hypocrite. Uh, and it, was, it goes back to the days of the Greek mythology uh, and the Greek dramas where an actor would come and play several roles in a drama. And the way you would determine what role they were playing is that they would put a mask over their face and hold a mask, and they would recite their lines of the drama, and then they would change to another mask. And so one actor or, or actress may play the part of five or six different people, and they were called hypocritas. That is, they were called hypocrites behind a mask and they were a different person behind the mask and that's what he's talking about here don't let your love be something that is a fake or false or superficial it should be without hypocrisy no covering it should be right out then we see the challenge of our love for one another in verse 10 no one has said that genuine love is easy because it's not especially this type of love that says I love you regardless that I have made a choice of my will to love you. In fact, there's a great book. I would encourage you to read it. It's called Love is a Choice. And it talks about this whole idea where you make a commitment and you surrender your life to the idea of where you're going to love your mate, you're going to love your children, you're going to love the brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to love the church, and you're going to love your preacher. Amen? But you make that decision to do so, even though we all sometimes are not likable. Would you agree with that? There are times, I bet, I bet some of you, at least maybe one or two out of all the married couples we have in here, there are probably somewhere in the past 20, 30, 40 years you've been married, maybe once or twice you looked at your mate and said, I don't like you. <laughs> well, like and love are two different things. Like has to do, like has to do with how you are, how, what you have done or said. Maybe you didn't like the way the, the, your spouse said this, or maybe didn't like the way you, you know, that he or she did something. But love says, I love you regardless of whether I like you or not, or whether I like what you did. I've made a commitment to love you. That's the type of love that God has for us. We're, that's the criteria of our love for one another. Then we see the challenge of our love for one another in verse 10. No one has said that genuine love is easy. Everyone should do it. There's a challenge in loving others, and it's to give preference to one another in honor and in love. It's, it's, it is the challenge, and every day it's a challenge. In Philippians 2, Paul says we are to esteem others better than ourselves, to look out for the interest of others in verses 3 and 4. And then we see the second mark of this life that we've always wanted, a life marked by absolute standards of morality. In 
Chapter 12 and verse 9, the latter part of, of verse 9, it tells us that we are to abhor, abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. We are to hate evil and we are to hold on to good. You say, well now wait a minute, Brother Ken, I, as a Christian I'm not supposed to hate anything. Well yes, the Bible says we are to hate evil. Now, let's pause there for a minute. We are not to hate evil people. But we are to hate evil. Your enemy is not the person. Your enemy is the enemy himself, and his name is Satan, and I believe him to be a real personage, and that he is doing everything that he can, number one, to keep someone from coming to Christ, but if he can't stop them from coming to Christ, which he can't, but if they do come to Christ, then he wants to ruin their testimony, and he wants to ruin them as a, as a disciple. We are to hate evil. God hates uh, lawlessness. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, as you see there. Look at what it says in Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. And look, uh, it, it's amazing Oh, the fear of the Lord, all of those things that God gives us, we are, to, we are to hate evil. Then we are to hold on to the good in the latter part there of, of um, verse 9. Not only are we to abhor that which is evil, but we're to cling to that which is good. The word to cling here is sometimes given in the English language as the word glue. Uh, good has a way of slipping away if we don't guard it. We need something to hold it together. And when we cling to the good, why is it that we always remember the bad and we hardly ever remember the good? You know, when we have an argument with a friend or a spouse or, or a brother or sister in Christ, we have this tendency to kind of just lump it all up and say, you always do that. Or you never do that. And then we forget what they have done in the past to encourage us to love us. And because of one thing, we allow the fellowship to be broken. We are to hold on to that which is good. Philippians tells us in chapter 4 that we are to think on those things which are of good report. You know, one of the uh, things that that I've tried to um, practice in my life is that when I'm challenged in this area uh, with an individual, someone who is, you know, has said something or done something, my first response is to want to defend myself. Have you ever wanted to do that? You just feel like you have to de defend yourself. But I found this, that I am not very good at that because when I start defending myself, you know what I'm doing? I'm basically uh, angry. And when I'm defending myself and being angry, I will never be able to accomplish what I need to get accomplished. I found a lot of times, I heard this story many years ago, and it's uh, really challenged me in my life in the way that I try to treat these, these kinds of things that come. Um, because would you believe, I mean, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. You think, I mean, am, am I a, a, a likable guy? Bobby, am I a likable guy? Okay. 
I, I didn't hear anything, brother. Oh, okay. 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 All right, I saw you nodding. I just didn't hear anything. Kind of worried me there for a minute. Wait, would you believe that there are some people that don't like me? Okay. You know, there, you know, not long ago, some, you know, and some people that, you know, and people that you don't even know, never met, will say ugly things about you, will spread rumors and lies about you. Now, you can do one of two things. You can either try to attack that, but then that does no good because there's no way for you to explain every little item and every little thing. But it, I saw this illustration many years ago, and I've never forgotten. It's changed my life uh, in approach to, to things like that. There was this um, church, and the pastor was getting to the point to where he was wanting to step down. And so the church came together, and they, with the pastor's direction and help and support, and they called in someone to... Um, as an associate pastor and came in and the young man was very ambitious and uh, was really uh, you know looking forward to all that uh, God was going to do and and one of the things that happened was he started making little uh, comments about the senior pastor's age and maybe he was not as long as he used to be and things like that and so it, it, it hurt the the senior pastor so much that it literally put him in the hospital. And the younger pastor came in, realizing what he had done, and he went to the pastor's bedside and knelt down and pleaded with him to forgive him. And the older pastor, in his wisdom, said, I've already forgiven you, but let me just show you the impact of what has happened. He said, reach over on the table and take one of the sheets of paper off of that notepad. Wanting to make things, do anything he could to reconcile, he tears the thing, the sheet off. And the older pastor said to him, now take it and tear it up into as small a pieces as you can tear it. And so the young pastor, you know, started tearing, he folded, tear, you know, tear it, fold it, tear it, fold it tore it up into all these little small pieces. And then the older pastor looked at him and said, now go over to the window and open the window. And so the young pastor wanting to, you know, have forgiveness and repentance and all that, he opened the window and the older pastor said this, take all of those pieces of paper and throw them out the window. And so the young pastor did that. And he looked at the older pastor. He says, now, what has that got to do with, with what, what I've done? What's... He said, well, here's what you need to do and understand the impact of what you've done. I want you to go now and find every little piece of paper that you threw out that window. And when you do, you will be able to have uh, reached the point to where you have taken back everything and all the impact of everything that was done. And the young pastor said, that's impossible. The wind has blown these pieces everywhere. How could, how could I ever find them all? 
And the older pastor said, yes, that's exactly right. And that's the way words and, you see, there are just some folks in this world that, that just like to talk. And they just don't put their mind into gear before they turn their lips loose. And they don't think about the impact that it can have. So we are to hate evil. We are to hold on to that which is good. And I've begun to practice this in my life. Now, I'm learning it. So that means that I haven't accomplished it quite yet. But I'm trying to. That when I hear anything that anyone has said or done oh, that is in any way against me. And yeah, it, you know, there's stuff all out there everywhere. My goal is to begin to pray for that person and to pray for God's best and to realize that if a person is doing something like that, the answer is Jesus. So I, that's what I'm trying to practice. And I want to tell you it's hard because everybody wants to defend themselves, right? Sometimes you just can't because the wind has blown it everywhere and you cannot find every piece. Then we see a life marked by animated enthusiasm for God in verse 11. What does, what does this mark? What is this enthusiasm thing? This involves an outward enthusiasm. The, you, people ought to know that there's something different about you. Oh, it involves an outward. Verse 11 says, no lagging in, in, in diligence. In other words, there should be no slowdown in your effort and your enthusiasm. You know, some of you have got grandbabies and you, can't, you are so enthusiastic about sharing pictures of those grandbabies. You spread them all over the world. I mean, you, you, all you got to do is ask and, man, you, you're there for 15 minutes. Uh, you're enthusiastic. Maybe you're enthusiastic about sports or whatever it may be. And you don't have to be encouraged and you don't have to be forced into talking about those things you're enthusiastic about. Listen, we ought to be so enthusiastic, literally, about we ought to be so enthusiastic about the word of God and what the gospel is that if the if a mosquito lights on us and sucks our blood that sucker ought to fly off singing there's power in the blood we ought to be enthusiastic about it and then there should be an inward enthusiasm the word here is fervent in spirit you know what it literally means it literally means to boil B-O-I-L, to boil. Apollos was one of those in, in Acts chapter 18 and verse 25. He says, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, same word that's mentioned here, fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, Apollos was enthusiastic about what he was doing inwardly, and outwardly, we need that enthusiasm. And it also involves a third one, and that is it should involve an upward enthusiasm. The, the, the scripture here says, serving the Lord. Now let's settle one thing here today, can we? As a church and as individual believers. We are here to serve 
the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to do everything that we can with all of our heart, with all of our effort, with all of our gifts, with all of our talents, with all of our abilities, with everything that we have to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And we're serving Him. And if we keep that as our focus, no discouragement will be able to stop us from being the church of Jesus Christ. When someone says something to you that hurts your feelings, you just say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Serving Jesus, not you, brother. Or sister, whoever it may be. And upper enthusiasm. I'll never forget a vocational evangelist who I got to know through the years. His name was Junior Hill. He preached a sermon once, and it so stirred my soul that it changed the way I do things in the mornings. Every morning when I take a shower, I put on the armor of God while I'm in the shower. I've memorized that passage, and as I go through, I put the armor of God on from the head all the way down to my toes. And then as I'm getting dressed and I'm thinking about the day and what all the Lord has for me, I always say this in my heart, Lord Jesus, Captain Jesus, this is Private Ken Culver reporting for duty. What is my assignment for today? And it's literally changed my outlook. It'll make you want to get up and do something. It'll make you want to rise early because you know Jesus has something planned for you that day that you have no idea what it is, but if you've got your armor on and you're ready for the day and you have surrendered your life to Jesus, he is going to direct you and he will use you. And we need to know that every day we look up and say, will today be the day, Lord, that you'll return? If not, I'll work till Jesus comes. You remember that old hymn? We'll work till Jesus comes. And then the life that we have always wanted is also a life marked by an ardent faith under fire. There have been more martyrs for Christ in our lifetime in what we know as the modern era of the church. Literally thousands upon thousands of people are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. Most Western Christians like us don't know that many are praying or literally making and paying the ultimate price to follow Jesus Christ. And Christians who are holy surrendered to Christ will stand firm through hope, patience, and prayer. So how is this life of ardent faith under fire? How does someone who has done nothing but preach the gospel, how are they able to be forced upon their knees with a radical Islamic terrorist behind them, grabbing them by the hair, pulling their neck back, and cutting their heads off. How does someone face that? 
It's because, number one, they're marked by the way that they praise God in verse 12. Notice what it says. Rejoicing in hope. You know, if you could bottle up hope and put it in a quart fruit jar, you could make a gazillion dollars. But hope is something that only comes when you have something to hope for. And let me tell you something. You and I have the greatest hope in the world. It's not, even a, it's not a good hope. It's not even a better hope. The Bible says that it is the best hope, that it is the blessed hope. And you know what that hope is? The coming of Jesus Christ. And that he has prepared a place for us. And nothing, according to the book 1 Corinthians, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And when people face those times of persecution, and yes, even martyrdom, it's marked by the ways that they praise God. One of the early church fathers was burned at the stake for his faith in Jesus Christ. And at 85 years old, his accusers and his murderers said to him, if you will recant your faith in Jesus Christ, we will set you free. And Polycarp was his name. I'd encourage you to look up, Google him, and see what you find. He was burned at the stake, and these were his last words. As they lit the flame, because he refused to recant, he said, Eighty and some odd years I have served my Savior. And in all those years, he has never failed me. And I will never fail him. And as the story goes, as they lit the flames around him it was said that there was such a beautiful smile that came upon his face as he looked up into heaven and I believe with all of my heart the Lord Jesus came there and got him and took him home marked by the way that he praised he praised God at the moment I was saved by the influence of a family that was praising God at the worst time of their lives. James and Patsy Blankenship shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me at the head of the casket of their dead son at 12 years old, whose name was James, who died there where Donaldson Road crosses 196 Back behind where the store and the post office used to be, there's a gravel pit. He and some of his friends were over there throwing rocks, and he slipped and fell and drowned in that gravel pit. And there, at the, the wake for their dead 12-year-old son, they shared the love of Christ with this lost baseball coach. And it radically changed my life. 
at the deepest, darkest, horrible, most horrible hour of their life, they were praising God. Also marked by the way that I persevere. Tells us to be patient in the face of tribulation. Notice what it says. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. How do we learn patience? When everything's going good? No. I would tell you, I would, uh, I would encourage you to pray for a lot of things. But I would never encourage you to pray for patience. I hope it just comes naturally for you. Because when you pray for patience, you know what you're saying to God? Test me, try me, prove me. I always like to sing that children's song, you know. I am a P, I am a possibility, you know. God's patient. John 16, 33 tells us that in the world you will have tribulation. Can I get an amen? amen. Not maybe, not might, but you will. You ought to rise every day expecting there's going to be a battle. But if you got your armor on, you're ready. And if you're surrendered to the Captain Jesus, you're ready. And if you've got the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, you're ready. So many of us get blindsided during the day because we weren't prepared. How many of us as soldiers, how many, I mean, how many soldiers today would go to the battlefield without their weapon? But yet we go out into the world a lot during the day and we've, we've not prayed, we've not, we've not looked to God, we've not surrendered our lives, and no wonder we run into trouble. Marked by the way that I persevere. How do you persevere? By surrendering more and more every day. Marked by the way that I pray. Continually, the scripture says here in verse 12, continually, steadfastly in prayer. Now, in, in the original language, it's, it's, it's like this. It's like having a hacking cough. You know, you put your, your kids are sick, you know, they start coughing, you, you load them up with some type of cough medicine, hopefully got some codeine in it or something, knock them out. What's that stuff we used to get? Paragard, you know. Then they, they said, that's not good, so they took it off the shelf. But you get them, you finally get them, it's 1.30 in the morning. You've been up 14 times since you went to bed at 10. Hacking cough, hacking cough. You load them up with cough medicine. You say, well, then maybe they'll sleep for a couple of hours. You put your head down on the pillow, you close your eyes, and there it goes again. That's kind of what this verse is saying here. That uh, is simply saying to us that we should be faithful, constantly, steadfastly in prayer, like a hacking cough. It ought to be just a natural thing. Then we see a life marked by an affirming ministry to others. The ministry of the open hand. What do we mean by that? It says distributing to the needs of the saints. We ought to have... Everything that we own, can we say this this morning? Everything that we own or we call ours is really not ours. 
we are to be stewards of that which God has given us because what do you have that God has not given you? I believe that we should hold on very loosely to what God has given us. In other words, it should be it should leave our hands if we see a need or if there's a way that we can serve, it should leave our hands immediately and go to that need because that's why God gave it to us. Not for us to waste on our own selfishness. That's not, you know, we, sh- we should enjoy all that God has given us. Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about here you know, being foolish or uh, if God has blessed you, live out that blessing. Show to others but always hold what God has given you loosely. Distributing to the needs of the saints. How many times through the years, as, as um, uh, Jan and I married and we were in school and, and then seminary and then doctoral program after that and then serving in, in little country churches and, and uh, praying together about how we're going to pay this, this bill that's coming. Uh, have any of y'all ever written what's called a faith check? It's one of those where you sit down and you say, okay, Lord, here's what the bank says I have. But you say, my bank account with you is, you will provide all my need according to your riches and glory. They don't reconcile. I think the bank must be wrong. No, they're right. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. And I know you're going to provide. And you know what? He always does. And the ministry of the open hand, being able then to take what God has given you and use the, the example of that is, the, of course, the, uh, the widow who put in her two mites, as the Scripture says, her two pennies. She put everything she had, not just a portion, but everything. Then we see the ministry of the open home, pursuing hospitality. Now, this is not as prevalent today probably as in, in the times of biblical days where there were you know, not many what we would call five-star hotels at that time, you know, the inns and so on. But given to hospitality, pursuing hospitality, it's really just having a heart for others. And really it means to create. It says pursuing hospitality. That is creating opportunities to minister to those people. Now we're so guilty, we're so guilty about, you know, after church going to lunch with Oh, our group, and that's great. You know, the people that we know and we're close to and we do things with. Have you ever, ever considered finding somebody, a widow or a widower or someone that has very little means? Have you ever considered ministering to them? And taking them out, bringing them into your home. I know we have to be careful about that stuff nowadays, but it still does not take away from what the Scripture says, that we should have a ministry that is pursuing 
hospitality. The ministry of the open heart in verses 14 and 15. An open heart blesses, an open heart rejoices, an open open heart weeps. And whatever the need, the open heart will, uh, will reach out and will embrace others. Verses 14 and 15 tells us, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So what are we supposed to do? Several things. Blessing those who persecute you. Now, I talked about that a little bit earlier, and that's a, I want to tell you, that's, that's one that I really struggle with because what I want to do is go grab that individual with my hands and try to choke him, send him on to Jesus. <laughs> but then I'd have to witness to him before I choke him, make sure he could get there. And that would mean that I would love him and then I couldn't be able to choke him, you know. So anyway, bless those who persecute you. Did they persecute Jesus? Yes, they did. How in the world could any of us expect any less? Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Now this is fun, except when we're jealous. (laughs) They got the job promotion. Well, they got a new house or a new car or a new this or a new that. We should rejoice with those who rejoice, and then we should weep with those who weep. We should grab a tissue. You see, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy does not have to get involved. Sympathy just says, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'll pray for you. But empathy says, come here, I want to give you a hug. I want to come over to your home and and fix supper for you. If you want to just cry, Let's let's just cry together. That's empathy. Empathy has has to do. Sympathy can stand back. So don't have sympathy. Have empathy. And then finally, a life marked by an active pursuit of unity. Two things. Three things, I'm sorry. The exhortation to unity. He tells us in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Now, we don't, that doesn't mean that we are supposed to always agree on everything, but it means that we have a common goal. We want unity here at Warren Community Church, and Jesus wants unity in his church. He does not want uniformity. That means that we all have to be the same. I tell you, I, I like the difference, the challenge, and the differences that God brings. The body of Christ is full, but... We are to end those differences, as he talks about here, as we talked about last week, all the different gifts. It's for the purpose of making us one. Then we have the example of unity. Jesus is associated with all strata of society, and especially those whom the high and mighty wouldn't even even associate with. 
He was comfortable with everyone. Are you, are you comfortable around um, the high society and the low society and all of You know, I remember in sociology class, you know, we had to memorize all the different um, uh, classes of, of, of society. You know, you had the, um, you had the uh, lower lowers, you had the middle lowers, and you had the upper lowers. And then you had the middle lowers and the middle middles and the middle uppers. And then you had the higher lowers and the higher middle and the higher uppers. More like a dental class sounded like to me than sociology. But you have all these different strata. And you know, and what the psychologists tell us is that we never reach beyond three of those uh, areas in our lives. It's uncomfortable for us. If we're in the lower class, very rarely will we reach up past the, the lower middle class. If we're in the middle middle class, very rarely will we reach up into the lower higher class. Now, of course, those are all based on society and based on financial things and based on where you live and all that stuff. But you know what? When the gospel comes... It erases all of that. And there is, there is, there are no classes of Christians. There's only one Christian. Saved and serving. The example of unity. Then finally the expression of unity. We are to not be wise in our own eyes, as he says. Um, he goes on to say to us, that we do not be wise in our own opinion. We are to associate with the humble oh, as an example of our unity, and we are to express that, but not thinking too highly of ourselves. So the life that we've always wanted, it's there. Paul instructs us how to live it. He gives us direction, and he shows us. But where does that all start? It starts, first of all, with a relationship to Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today is the day you need to take that first step to receive him into your heart and life and to serve him faithfully for all the days that you have left and to come in repentance and faith. The Bible says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What do we confess? We confess, number one, that we're a sinner, and we're in need of Jesus Christ. Number two, we confess that Jesus is the Savior, and he's the only way that we can be saved. And then we, with our mouth, we believe, with, with our heart, we believe that he is the only Savior. With our mouth, we confess, and we confess our need, and we ask God to forgive us of our sin to repent and to turn to him. And if you've never done that, today needs to be that day, right now, without hesitation or delay. And even those who are watching by our live stream, right now, if you need Christ, would you just bow? In fact, let's all bow together as we have this closing prayer. And you make this prayer your own. And if you don't know Jesus today, just simply say, Lord, I need you. I realize that you're the Savior and that you're a great Savior and I'm a great sinner. And Lord, that the only way that I can be saved is through you. So I confess today and believe that what you've done for me, 
I receive that into my heart and accept that. Thank you, Lord, for doing for me what I could not do ever done for myself. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sin to be my Lord and Savior. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. And then maybe, Lord, there, in our congregation today, as we've, we've really just preached to the Christian today about living the life that we've always wanted and how we're to live it. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us as believers, as the body of Christ here at Warren, that we would live out. And we can't do it by ourselves. It has to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. As every day that we surrender to you, and in our failures, turning to you in repentance, but yet, Lord, knowing that our heart's desire is to live out these truths that we've talked about today. Because that's the life you want to bless us with. So, Lord, in this time of invitation, it's your invitation. You call out the called, and then, Lord, may the called surrender. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.